Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Okay, everyone, welcome to Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe, and with me today is a very special guest. Um, I'm going to introduce her in a moment. We do have some housekeeping we have to take care of, as we do before every podcast starts. So bear with me as we talk about our sponsors. Uh, we have a we have a set of sponsors and a set of partners, and our partners are organizations that we we support through your FTCA membership and your membership dues and other sort of fundraising endeavors. We support World Spine Care and you can check out the World Spine Care mission at worldspinecare.org. Basically what World Spine Care is doing is trying to bring evidence-based care, spine care, musculoskeletal care to places around the world that are underrepresented as we may or may not know, low back pain is a worldwide epidemic. It's one of the, if not, I haven't looked at the scoreboard lately, but it's the number one disabling condition uh, in the world. So World Spine Care's mission is to put a dent in that back pain epidemic. You can check them out once again at World Spine Care. We also support CARL, which is the Chiropractic Academy of Research Leadership and what CARL does is the Carl Research Fellows get together. They take young, research-minded, early career chiropractors and teach them how to pr- produce evidence-based uh, research. Duh, I mean, what, what kind of research is not evidence-based? Oh, don't, don't answer that question. That's rhetorical. <laughs> uh, they produce research and teach these young chiropractors how to be good researchers and get published. And they are creating a uh, a future for our profession that is well understated. So we make we want to make sure that we support Carl as much as we possibly can. And you can check out the Carl Research Fellows with your Google machine. Now, our sponsors are people that do what sponsors do. They say, we're going to do stuff for you if you say our name. And we love our sponsors. They've been supporting us a long time. Uh, they are Hyperice, the Jane app, Drop Release, the T-Tool, China Gel, the Chiropractic Success Academy, the Smart Chiropractor, and Gestalt Therapy, uh, Gestalt Education, not Gestalt Therapy. Don't get those two confused. And of course, uh, Cairo Up. So check all those sponsors out. And we thank you very much for supporting the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and the podcast. So Dr. Andrea Holzner has a set of degrees in her pocket. She's a PhD in gerontology. She has a master's in psychology and further uh, another degree in neuro research. What, uh, Dr. Andrea, what got you down this road? So what made you start? It's one thing to care about people who are aging. It's one thing to have somebody in your family that you've had experiences with the, uh, the latter stages of life and what aging does to us, um, medically speaking. But what makes somebody want to study these elements and then try to make a difference from a professional standpoint? Yeah, well, I've always been involved in aging and disability. 
Um, and in 2012, my mom was diagnosed with something called vascular dementia, which uh, comes to fruition from a, a number of strokes or vascular event. Um, and knowing now what I know, her symptoms morphed into Alzheimer's very rapidly. And she probably had something else going on as well. Um, but I was her primary caregiver once she was diagnosed. And so I watched how, um, I watched the different stages of the disease and, and what, and also being integrated within the system, the medical system, right? The insurance system, nursing, et cetera, as, and at the end of her life, you know, in the, in the care, in the care system. So that really um, ignited a passion in me to uh, know all I can know about neural workings of the brain and diseases and aging and um, how I can go out there and, and educate. Um, so that's pretty much how, it's, how it started. And the more I've gotten into it, the more there's just so many facets um, to what I call the aging ecosystem um, that it, sometimes it's hard to know where to put your energies, right? And um, right. So, yeah. Are there so, talk some main categories in this aging ecosystem that you can share with us. What what is the substrate of that? Yeah. So uh, the aging ecosystem is like any ecosystem. You have the my the organisms, microorganisms that all interact within a system, within an environment. Um, the aging ecosystem involves all the components, the social, the medical, the mental health, right? The housing, food, um, caregiving, just all the components that go into um, and supporting are older adults as they age. And of course, um, as they become more dependent um, based on Alzheimer's or a physical condition. So all of those areas, um, it's critical that they have a collaborative and integrative approach and that um, they're all working together. Um, Last year, I finished research uh, interviewing providers, and one of the main themes that came out of it was they are so hungry for uh, having a more integrative and collaborative process and um, approach to their to their um, treatment planning and such, like even a pharmaceutical consult, um, because uh, you know physicians, providers, chiropractors, you know, we don't all know the interactions and what can develop from that. Um, you know. Yeah, I think also uh, as a credit to the educations we are receiving in our different various fields, I think that language has been expressed in the educational process. You can see it culturally now. It's like stay in your lane is, is a big cultural uh, theme right now. What are you the expert of and why should you be talking if you're not an expert? So everyone's sort of being trained to say, 
to under, as, at least from a professional perspective, say, I, I self-identify, I am not a master of this domain, so who in my community is? And then beginning to reach out. So I think that's a plus that we're getting away from sort of this heroic mindset of caring for people that each one of us individual providers has all the answers. And it's going to be, it's borne out in the evidence, borne out in treatment guidelines on just about anything you can look at that a multidisciplinary approach is going to be the best for people. Now, has our medical system caught on to that yet? No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> They're always a little um, bit behind, right? I, I think it's catching up. I really do. Um, I know, uh, so I, I go out nationally and teach providers in any field um, just how to enhance their geriatric patient care. Um, and, and a huge part of that, of course, is Alzheimer's. Um, but there are also other areas that um, as um, prescriptive misuse or overuse, right? And the, and the interactions, um, looking at pain management um, many times because of uh, these drug inter interactions and such, um, the patient is not exactly clear where that pain is stemming from. So, um, and if someone comes in with a pain, uh, it's really challenging when you have these prescriptive components, cognitive components, um, environmental factors to try as a, as a chiropractor or a provider, like how do you, where do you look first? What are the questions that you ask? Yeah, I think right. classically trained, you know, when you talk about just standard training of chiropractors, I, I, I would think, you know, sometimes I might actually speak out of turn and speak for most of them and make assumptions or stereotypes. But I think most of the chiropractic profession sort of agrees and gets this, this feeling, almost a stigma, that when you treat patients in an older population, it's just going to be more and more complicated. You should expect to see more and more complications, more and more comorbidities, uh, drug interactions. So sometimes I think the younger chiropractors will even avoid, I wouldn't say outright avoid. I would say they would create environments in their practices that would discourage uh, elder patients from pursuing care in their offices whatsoever. Does that make sense? Does that even, oh, does that translate into other, do other professions do that too, like dentists or? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and, and I think, I think even more so for chiropractors, because um, of course, as um, for the older adult, whether it's normative aging or, or geriatric patient, um, they're, they have more frailties, sure. right? And so understanding all of that and, um, and just being able to, to voice um, and for them to ascertain, you know, where, where they need this um, support is, is very challenging. Um, I try to, try to work with providers um, to really ask questions beyond, beyond the initial triage right? You know, is there something emergent or is it, you know, and beyond that, it's 
um, let me really, as quick as I can, see what's what's happening with this patient, um, especially if they have been diagnosed and are forthcoming with that diagnosis, right? Right. So, when you do educate other providers, if there were a couple key bullet points that you like you could just grab them by the lapels and look them in the eyes and say, these are the things I need you to understand about this patient population. If you get anything from my talks, from my education, what things do you feel like they need to know the most? Because these are, they're all our patients. I'm using air quotes here. They're all ours, but this is really your wheelhouse. These are the things that you need other people to understand. What would you be telling these providers? Hmm. That's a, that's a great question. Um, one, I, I definitely say this across the board, is um, there's, a, there's a difference between, I guess, normative aging care and treatment versus a geriatric patient. And understanding those differences really helps in, in any discipline to go forward and make make treatment and care um, decisions. A geriatric patient is someone not only with cognitive challenges um, and, and comorbidities, multiple conditions, um, they have a level of dependency, right? And oftentimes uh, in the beginning, they're coming by themselves when they start getting into more of a moderate level. Um, there's usually a caregiver or support. Um, and there, again, there's the prescriptive element that um, cannot be uh, forgotten. So just one, understanding the difference between just a normal, normal, healthy, or, okay, I'm going to change that word, not normal, normative, healthy <laughs> ad adult um, versus someone. For all the that, listeners, these are two Portlanders talking, so we have to always make sure that our definitions are absolutely correct, or they're gonna, <laughs> someone's going to stick us on a on a pike outside. Oh, town. <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> that, that it's, there's normative, definitely. which you know, we're right. all aging, and aging is normal, right. and it's beautiful, and it's a thing that happens. And then there's dysfunctional aging. Would you put it that way? Yes, yes, and. And one thing I want to also just laterally state is that for insurances and the medical system and uh, for a number of other related systems, uh, geriatric across the board is referred to a biological uh, right. number. It's just, if you're 65 and older, your provider is referring to you as a geriatric patient. Well, if I, my grandmother lived to be 99 and a half um, from Germany. And I think if anyone referred to her as geriatric, she'd punch them. Sure, sure. You know, so, um, but in terms of a clinical setting, that's what I, that's what I'm trying to get uh, when I'm teaching is that it's very, it's a very unique population, a subset, right? And they require a heightened level of awareness from the provider um, and a real understanding of aging. Um, 
and two, it is really learning uh, a different style of communication. Um, and you can only learn that from really understanding and having a basis of, of age-related conditions and diseases as Alzheimer's. Um, someone that could be 45 with Alzheimer's or 70 with Alzheimer's and they're unable to, you know, it affects your thought processes, you know, just in simple terms. Um, one, you're not, as a, as a chiropractor, you, you can't give them five different concepts. You can't say, you know, lay, lay on your back on this table. I'm going to get this equipment and then I'm going to make these, do these manipulations, right? That's like five or six concepts. Yeah. They, they've, you've, it's already gone, gone out over their head. So to really understand the geriatric patient and where they're at in that moment and give them very simple, singular concepts um, in, in a very respectful way um, is really important. That raises um, I, an interesting question for me. I don't want to interrupt, but I, you know, so many of us now use exercise as an in intervention for pain. <clears throat> and I can only imagine in that ecosystem of aging, activity and exercise would be tremendously important as well. Is that true? <clears throat> oh, I, I yes, I, I, I have always believed and 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 research as well uh, shows that that a your, the health of your spine, I think, determines a lot on how you're how you're going to age. So um, it's it's critical, definitely. So for the geriatric aging population, I can only see how confounding or complicated it is if you cannot communicate. A, just the importance of exercise to the patient, but B, if you can't communicate efficiently, uh, like you said, with dignity, clearly, simply, the things that they should do at home or even in the office, the success rate is going to go quite down, like rapidly down in something that's such, such an important factor in this ecosystem. Oh, definitely. And I mean, again, the going back to the communication, once, once you have a greater awareness of aging and Alzheimer's and uh, in and other, you know, related uh, conditions, you really begin to modify your treatments and as well as exercise right? There's, um, a, there's a lot of um, exercise programs that are specific to different stages of Alzheimer's. And so maybe instead of having someone do a forward bend because um, they could lose their balance or their the frailty and such, um, if they're sitting using, a, you know, a big, um, one of those big beach balls, and just bend forward, they might get that same motion. So 
I think that education helps to really modify the treatment planning and modify the exercises that you would recommend. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you, so, definitely, <clears throat> you definitely scale the exercises down to minimize the risk to the patient, risk of injury for sure. Um, this, this creates some kind of an algorithm, guys. So there's, there are these algorithms popping in my head now. And I'm, I'm thinking stepwise for the, for the young chiropractor, the, the chiropractor who's has not yet or is not yet comfortable with uh, the geriatric aging population and how to deal with them. First and foremost, short of somebody walking in the door or somebody walking in the door with a caretaker saying, uh, this is Mary here and she has Alzheimer's and just letting the provider know, are there any yellow flags or red flags that a provider needs to be aware of to perhaps tip them off that they're dealing with somebody who is uh, going through a geriatric aging process? Um, to, okay, say that again, to, to tip. So a patient walks in the door I, and you know they came in because they have back pain, but the provider's like, something else is going on here. It's an older patient. I, Short of them just saying, this person's not all here, what other signs or symptoms could they look for and say, this patient might have Alzheimer's and not be sharing with me, or this patient might have uh, dementia and, and just doesn't even know it yet. <laughs> at, right. first we need, at first, the provider needs to suspect something. Eventually, right. on that path is also referral, but first they need to be able to suspect something before they can make the referral. So what sort of things should they look yeah. out for so they can be suspicious? Oh, yeah. So definitely, um, again, um, I think across the board, whatever provider field, um, you immediately, as, the prov as a chiropractor, you, you have to triage. And if you get the intuition that something else is going on, I, I really say, you know, one halt the halt the session, you know, like don't continue. But also I think part of part of that education of it is knowing, okay, I'm gonna sit down with with this patient and I'm gonna have a conversation, right? And from that conversation, you're, you'll immediately get an idea of how they're processing um, their sentences, um, their tenses, you know, like grammatically and, um, and how they're engaged, their emotionality. Um, oftentimes with dementia as it progresses, and even in the beginning, there's almost a lack of emotive um, response. So again, the edu the awareness of it and the education just helps you to, to, you know, ask, as you're having a conversation, have these in your, in your mind and be thinking, okay, um, there's a possibility that they could have some cognitive decline. Um, that doesn't mean just stop, you know, continuing doing treatment planning, but it, but it's your, at that point, I would say you have to out, you have to weigh the risks. Right. 
right? So it's a determination. Um, and, and often, um, last week I spoke to, uh, I spoke at a dental conference and, um, this question came up and it, it came up for, I would say about 60% of the audience. Um, and then at that point, if someone walks in and they see, well, they might have uh, dementia or something, something else is going on. They don't know what, if they should continue. And my thoughts on that is to stop and say, you know, I'd like to, um, I'd like to get your medical records and understand a little bit more so that I could have more of a comprehensive approach to your treatment. It's in your best interest. Right. right. Um, and at that point, it gives you a chance to, to get that documentation and, and be more well-rounded in, in your, in your planning. So um, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, you know, Hey, I, I'd like to get some more information in medical records and that way I can treat you. Treat Absolutely. Better, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um you know, first do no harm being the, the song of the day. Um, let me see how I can phrase this question so that it's that it uh, it makes sense for all parties, listeners and guests and hosts. It has to make sense to me too. If are so, think of us chiropractors just like you would think dentists and everyone else. If somebody is showing up to our office and they have, and they are a patient who is going through uh, geriatric aging. What are, what is the likelihood? This one's just a quick answer. What is the likelihood that they've already been diagnosed already versus having no diagnosis at all? Is it pretty highly likely that they've been diagnosed at some point? Um, okay. Um, you know, I that's have a hard say, question to ask. It's a I mean, I'm, very, I'm trying to figure very, out like, cause no, chiropractors I, get people just off the street. Yeah. Back yeah. pain so common that they just send people in off the street at us. And then we're supposed to figure out everything about their lives in like a 15 to 20 minute setting, which is impossible. And then come yeah. to some sort of treatment plan. This is where I say, again, you have to have access to the medical records. That's the because answer. Um, absolutely. And I will say this laterally, and I hope that with the education and awareness on geriatric care, it changes, but currently, um, we're looking at 60 to 80% of misdiagnosis or no diagnosis of dementia. Um, and I and it's a whole different conversation. I won't even go down there, but. Um, but you already hinted so, at it. My first question was, how would I know if, how would I be able to make a determination as a primary access provider, whether I'm dealing with somebody with dementia or not? And you didn't have an answer of like, oh, you use this form or you use this test. You know, there's like stroke assessments. There's high blood pressure assessments. I can use my stethoscope. I can listen to lungs. I can order a blood draw to look for, a, but there's nothing for dementia that you can just hand me and say, run this by every patient you suspect, and it'll give you an answer. 
Well, of course, there are there is mental health uh, and cognitive uh, assessments out there. Okay. There's a whole gamut of them. There's the MMSE. There are cognitive tests, and there are very simple ones that, as a chiropractor, you could give your patients. Um, I would say it gives you an indication that yes, I need to access their medical, the medical records, records or whatnot, but um, it's it's a whole education. Like yes. I could spend I could spend like an hour or two working with chiropractors just on how do you administer a cognitive test, you know, respectfully and sure. without um, making the the patient defensive or and 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 what does that look like and how do you engage uh, and collaborate with their their PCP and such so um, it is kind of a gray area but on the other hand I think um, it's becoming more and more the norm for chiropractors for physical therapists for uh audiologists for dentists to say um before we continue i'm gonna pull your you know i need you to sign this so i can pull your medical records to get a better understanding and once i have that we can go forward Fantastic. Um, yeah so i think um it's for the positive making changes now and that's the interdisciplinary discussion we're talking about oh uh, definitely yeah you know heaven forbid even though we've had plenty of great mds on this podcast and many people work with many uh, the reality is sometimes those mds aren't sharing the information even if it's in the patient's best interest they're not sharing it with the chiropractor it's fascinating oh did you know by the way so i would assume that most it, you know, a preponderance of the majority of, of patients that we're talking about here when they present to a chiropractor would be on Medicare based services, you know, covered by Medicare, the Medicare system when it comes to chiropractic only covers the, the, uh, what, you know, what you would be, what you would think of as chiropractic, like moving the spine around the manipulation of the spine. So all these other things that would fit into the ecosystem of importance, like activity, exercise, uh, quality assessment, Medicare covers none of that for the chiropractor and, and the patient has to pay out of pocket. And that puts another barrier to the patient uh, as well, because yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, you don't even have to explain it. It's just, it, it becomes a, a liability to the provider to even think about those things, even if it's their ethical uh, imperative to to put the patient first and do all these things, they just aren't going to prioritize it with the Medicare patient. So we kind of do a, a, a misjustice to Medicare patients when we do need this multidisciplinary approach. We do need everybody being able to communicate on the same levels using the same language and being able to access the medical records appropriately. And um, we need to know, you know, regardless of what you think of that, and how good or bad that is, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad, but it also 
takes us away from this conversation that we're having right now. Mainstream chiropractors don't have these conversations. Like how do I refer mm-hmm. properly with my Medicare patient? How do I make sure the PCP is involved? Uh, they're just like, I'm going to get paid to move the, the spine around and then I'm just going to move on with the patient. Either they're, they feel better or they don't, but feeling better is not the, uh, the situation. Right. And um, this is an, an issue uh, in, chiropr- in chiropr- chiropractic care and across the board and in all fields. Um, and it's a, it's a huge issue. Um, you know, we have the, the Federal Committee on Aging. We have a lot of changes that are being made. Um, changes now being made consistently to Medicare. And, and my hope is that with continued research in voicing that we're able to, to make the changes they need. Um, it's, it's just in everyone's best interest, especially the patient. Right. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very slippery slope when you're, when you're engaging Medicare, um, both because you're in, in your, you're in business as a provider and you want to give the best care to your patient and how do you, how can you marry those? Um, I don't have the answer for Medicare. However, I will say that I think with, um, educators as myself and other organizations um, and even echelons in the county, I mean, in the government, that we're starting to really put a lot of pressure and say, um, and that's when I come back to the beginning of our talk, we have to really ascertain the difference between normative aging versus geriatric patient care. And um in geriatric patients um can live a long time in that geriatric evaluation so we want to be able to give them the best care right and minimize the outcomes of injury and er visits and, and repeated um hospital visits and early more you know just a number of of symptoms from that. So we want to empower chiropractors and other fields to be able to, to give assessments. Um, I, I only hope that it's changing for the better. And um, I think the more advocates, the better. Um, and it comes down to this thing that you've now said three or four times, and that's education. The, the providers need to, they need to compel themselves mostly because no one's going to make them do it, but either they see enough of the patient population that it motivates them, or they understand that they don't want to fail anybody who comes to their doors. They need to, th- those are the things that motivate them to then become educated on this topic one of the best questions that we could ever accomplish in our podcast is for the listeners, where can they get these types of educational pieces? Where can they go to learn? Um, Continuing education um, organizations, right? Through chiropractic. 
um, if they don't offer a geriatric component, um, have them reach out to me. I'll, you know, that's you know, what I'm, I'm talking about. That's, that's yeah, what I'm talking about. I won't go into impersonation. So it I sounds like that. somebody's not a self promoter here. Somebody's, no, I'm not. I'm not a, <laughs> um, no, I, of course, I, I, I teach um, continuing education courses and on geriatric care. And I, I can't stress enough. I mean, it's just, um, just even having the awareness of, of aging and what it looks like. Um, so many times I see something as simple as um, if someone has uh, Alzheimer's, even, even at the beginning stages, um, I've noticed that some providers will talk to them almost like a, like a child, like yeah. baby talk. And, um, and I think part of that is because they're, they truly don't understand dementia or any of the phases um, from dementia. Um, because even at, even in the most um, severe case and stage of Alzheimer's, that person is still an adult. They just cannot communicate effectively. You know, that's, that's what, if I could say anything, and, and again, going back to the three things you wanted me to cover, um, communication, 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 because um, with Alzheimer's, um, you know, they might not be able to communicate effectively because they can't process a sentence or, or you know, their past and present and future tense are mixed up. Um, but if you understand that as a chiropractor and in the moment, um, if they're exhibiting certain um, ineffective communication, I guess I would say um, it just alerts you to say, okay, I'm going to slow down. Um, I'm just going to talk in very simple concepts. Um, and I'm still going to talk to them as an adult, just maybe more kindly. Um, Another, another element of that in communication um, that we don't think about is the physicality of it. Yes. Right. Um, and if, and not only, I just want to say this laterally is that not only if someone has Alzheimer's or, or dementia or whatnot, but, but if, if someone, let's just say there's no cognitive element, there's just they have mobility issues um, and there's a, there's a higher level of dependency and maybe they're also managing mental health or PTSD. The, the physicality of communication is um, as, a, as a provider, you don't wanna be invasive or intimidating. Um, and so even sitting on sitting while you're communicating with them, right, is less threatening to them in a way or right. triggering and, and whatnot. So 
there's there's just a lot of nuances and approaches that can be taught that um once you once you know them you're like oh okay, this is yeah of course you know i'll make this change and um and it helps you out as well right absolutely and so well i also know i mean even as i age because we're all aging i know that my i guess you could say balance my spatial awareness isn't what it was when i was 20 and i don't want someone bum rushing into my personal space either like your brain has to sort of account for that right like is this person going to be in my space or are they going to knock me over Am I stable here? And I can only imagine that that's magnified as aging progresses, that you're going to be concerned about those things. Uh, and when it comes to chiropractic, where people are laying their hands on you, it might, not, it might even like push on you and touch you and ask you to do things that you're not comfortable with doing or you know, putting yourself into positions or movements that you haven't done in literally years. It's going to be a fearful situation. You've got to be able to temper those fears with communication and and you're absolutely right. Uh, just a tremendous amount of it is body language. Oh, yeah. And and maybe, you know, you might have to, um, you, you won't be able to do any kind of, um, you know, manipulation or anything at first. Maybe even in the first couple of sessions, you might have to just develop that trust. Um, you know, I always say if, if there's, some kind of hesitancy um, because you can tell that they're by their body language or or their re response um, to definitely have um, a technician or someone in there as well right to um, yes so um, yeah it's a it's a whole different universe yeah and, you're talking to a crowd that knows that if, if you have a patient who's hesitant with manual therapies anyways, regardless of age, that you can have uh, somebody who's been abused and they're young and, yeah. they're, and they're displaying hesitancy as well. You're probably, you're, you know, the manual therapy is probably off the table until you can remove that hesitancy. Just the way the brain interprets pain, the way the brain interprets pain as, am I in danger or am I safe? If you're gonna, right. if you're dealing with a mech, uh, if you're dealing with an organism that thinks they're already in danger, and you're going to present an intervention that adds more danger to the mix you're only going to get a bad result when it comes to pain or pain magnification oh. or catastrophization if that's the end road there so yes that's probably some of the best advice and there's a lot of people with their headphones on that'll be nodding with you like if there's, <laughs> if there's any sort of hesitancy at all uh just back off the hands and continue to create the rapport that's necessary to make sure that this is successful as a yeah patient uh, I, I don't um one thing i uh, in my courses when i'm talking with um dentists or not just medical but like dentists or audiologists and such um that they have a level of mandatory reporting is yes. that with chiropractors as yes, well absolutely yep yeah and so um this is an area that um it comes up and it, unfortunately it comes up quite frequently um, is when someone older comes in that has um, a form of dementia, Alzheimer's, and um, 
there's a recognition of neglect or abuse. Um, and so, you know, another thing that I, I um, help um, teach is how to recognize those signs. That's great. And, um, and, you know, when to report it and have it, you know, looked at. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's so hard to put into just a little podcast. You know, I just, no, sure. um, like, uh, last week in speaking, my, my, my course time was 8am to 10pm. So they all came in drinking coffee and, you know, waking up. And I think a lot of them thought, wow, two hours on geriatric care, that's painful. Um, <laughs> but, but, but as I noted, noted the last, you know, 15 minutes of our time, it was almost like, what? There's so much more we need to yeah, know. Now they're and, on the edge of their seat. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to say some of it is my speaking. It's like monster know. trucks. Yeah. Like <laughs> you might have, you might pay for the whole seat, but you only need the edge when Dr. Holzner <laughs> is speaking about geriatrics. Dun, 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 dun. You know, um, I think part yeah. what you just said about mandatory reporting and the, the provider's interest in it is, is also makes a hint towards how problematic our thoughts about aging are. Because that's all they're really taught. That's all we're all really taught is really important about aging or, or taking care of an aging population is just make sure they're not being abused. But like there's like you said, there's so much other perspective that, that we're not looking for because we're really just like, all I, all I was ever taught in school is uh, that I'm a mandatory reporter and I need to report if they're being abused. Well, what about everything that runs up next to that? Right. Is totally oh, omitted. It's... Like, oh, they're all just old. They're all just old people. And old people have stuff, Arr. but at least if they're not being abused. Now we just keep on going on with our system and doing what we need to do to get our job done. That's so true. And I think um, at the early stages of memory loss, um, let's say they haven't even had a diagnosis, you know, it's just memory loss and they're forgetting names and such. And and they might be losing their balance or they get up in the middle of the night and they fall. Um, you could start seeing um, higher cases of bruising because not of abuse or neglect or anything. It's just their own uh, frailties or their own memory loss. Um, and a lot of this happens uh it's a significant percentage that just as they're beginning to change in their cognition, um, they'll do anything to acknowledge it. I mean, they'll, they don't want to lose their car. They don't want to be put in a home. They don't want care. You know, there's all this loss associated with someone that starts having memory issues. Um, so I mean, not to say that chiropractors have to be superheroes and know sure. all this, but um, but um, in geriatric education, just knowing these different signs, um, yeah, I have um, a product coming out. I'm trying to get it AMA and ADA 
um, and maybe the Chiropractic Association approved. Um, and it's basically just like a laminated flip calendar for geriatric care on key risk areas or questions that you could ask or signs of. Uh, oh, we love those. You know, yeah, we love those things. Anything to make our job. Charts. Yes. Anything to make the job easier. <laughs> flow charts. I've got behind the screen here, because we're on video, even though everyone's on audio, I've got my library. And I would say a good third of that section are all the little algorithms and flow charts and flip charts and key tips to get me to the right place so I can get the patient uh, what they need, which which begs my next question. Do you, do you participate in patient care as well in your clinic? Um, I did for a long time, for many years. Um, and I, during the pandemic, um, I was unable to see patients for yeah, two years. I can imagine. Right, the quarantine. Um, and now I see I do see some patients, but basically I've moved into uh, almost 100% education. What does gerontology care look like? Hmm. What, what, what are the services? What, what, what would someone expect? Right. Um, that is a good question. Um, so, so a family member, usually an adult, child will come to me and say, my mom or, or dad has um, beginnings of dementia or maybe advanced. And so they would come in and, and I'm with them from, I'll do my own cognitive assessment. Um, I, I do a complete comprehensive assessment, medical, pharmaceutical, environmental, social, you know, um, just like as comprehensive as I can, and then um, work with the families on, okay, this is where we are today. This is their diagnosis. This is how it potentially could progress. Here are some prescriptive options. Here are some alternative options, right? Sure. In a more, um, I'm, I'm all about de-prescribing. Um, and I work with them until the patient passes away. So um, my daughter used to call me a, a death doula because oh, yeah. I- <laughs> She sounds because, awesome, I wanna hang out with her. <laughs> um, she's, yes, she's pretty brilliant. She's pretty brilliant. Um, and um, so, um, so it's really monitoring their care and really looking and as, as they tra transition into uh, a memory care, working with the staff um, and really saying, hey, you know, um, maybe we need, I need to work with their medical provider and say, let's reduce this prescription. You know, let's try something. Let's try an alternative let's, you know, change their diet. So I would just work um, really uh, not only with this, with the aging ecosystem and everything involved, but with that person sure. looking at, and um, I know, you know, I, I get the pushback all the time with 
with um, doctors is that um, it's so hard to make a comprehensive assessment in this short time that I have this patient and I'm supposed to kind of see where they're at cognitively, where they're at physically. And, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, um, they're saying it's, it's just a lot and um, it's too much. So I think that's where um, that comprehensive and integrative approach comes in where you could say, yeah, something I, I my intuition is up and based on my conversation and such, I need to look further. And so that's where you can, you know, if they have a caregiver, um, if they have a provider to really get as much information as you can. Um, In your and, opinion, does gerontology or the care aspect, the actual uh, patient care, does it sit within a mainstream position or outside of a mainstream position? Because I noticed you said how patients get to you is somebody who cares about them. You did not say, I get a, I get a bunch of referrals from uh, the VA or, or the <laughs> medical system or the hospitals or. Yeah. Um, I, I just yesterday evening, I posted something that uh, geriatric professionals, whether they're medical or psychological field, um, we're at almost 300% deficit compared gotcha. to what needed. So, um, um, I will say, you know, I try to get out to universities and, and really talk to students about the need and, um, in terms of medical or chiropractic or what, you know, whatnot, it's, it's not the sexiest. I, you know, I, I say that because that's the term that the term that I get pushback from is that, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's very, it can be very challenging. Right? Well, we do kind of have this society that is, um, you know, from my perspective, doesn't honor, doesn't, doesn't even want to recognize aging. Uh, they're all in denial, you know, with Hollywood and everything else that, that we all age and it's natural and it, it can be graceful if we acknowledged it. And we just have a society that has a habit of locking our elders up in a, in a box and hoping they just disappear. Uh, so we don't have to think about it. We don't have the responsibility. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, that mindset is just, it's, it has no place today. And um, aging is so beautiful. It just, it really has a lot of beauty. And yes, there are changes that occur potentially, right? And, right. Um, um, and a while ago, I wrote an article, I don't know if it was received well, but it said 40 is the new 60. And you I only that. said- That's you. <laughs> that was your fault? <laughs> no, no, see, a lot of people, a lot of people were saying the opposite. Right. Like 60 is the new 40, right? Because people are living longer and more active, which is true. But the reason I said it is because 
we have to start at a younger age, you know, middle age or whatnot, really recalibrating and saying, I need to keep my spine flexible. I need to stretch. I need to be strong. I need to maybe think about what I'm putting in my body and ingesting and even over the, over the counter, um, the, yeah. And right, right now I'm editing a book. I don't know if the title will stick, but it's called Deprescribing Our Parents. Um, so I don't know if the publisher is going to keep that Tales title. from the death doula. <laughs> that, that, that's my title, but I don't know if they'll keep it. But, um, but basically it's saying um, we need to ask ourselves questions and say, do it, why am I taking these Tums? Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say name brands, but why am I taking these antacids every day? Sure. Maybe I need to look at my diet or maybe I need to drink more water or why am I feeling like I can't lift groceries anymore? Yeah. You know, why am I having chronic back pain um, instead of just going to get a pill and saying that or, will fix or, it? or a BS natural remedy. They sell a lot of natural remedies that don't do anything out there too. My mom just sent me a message the other day. Like, what do you think of this, uh, this, uh, approach it was i don't remember what it was i don't want to i don't want to inculcate anybody in their bs but you know this thing for neuropathy like what do you think of it that's garbage and she's like it says that it's natural well that doesn't always mean that it's good (laughs) oh gosh you know what i could talk to you for like the rest of the day on that one topic (laughs) um there's some products out there right now that are making it look so fantastic and no it has no no warrant well, let me ask you um, this i don't want to make a cause i don't want to make a causation claim here so this is a claim I'm, I'm just fishing here do individuals who suffer the ill effects of geriatric aging exercise Mm. They have a history of being exercisers. So are you saying then that someone that might be a marathon runner, that the propensity for them getting Alzheimer's is low? Like they, I'm more wondering, is it because of the cognitive decline or perhaps the frailty or both as well that exercise is discouraged in the population? It's not part of a uh, treatment regimen, piece of advice, or even an assessment. Yeah, I. Um, that and because it, of that, I will make my causative comment that then they get okay. worse. <laughs> right, right, and and that's what is uh, so wonderful in terms of if Medicare could up their game and support chiropractors um, in you know, in all their treatment planning, because um, exercise is hugely important. Um, There's numerous studies that um, show the decline in mobility 
um, and the increase in, you know, comorbidity and Alzheimer's and on and on and on. Um, and it's just so important to have any activity. Um, each Wednesday, I do a support group webinar for caregivers of loved ones that have Alzheimer's. And that question just came up on Wednesday was, um, what can we do to, to, to get our loved ones more active? And so we just came, we just brainstormed. And I said, you know, could be anything. It's not like you have to be a, do a marathon or anything. It could right. be any kind of activity that puts a smile. Um, and I, I always say um, that there should always, if you're, I mean, this is maybe digressing, but if you're a caregiver of someone that has Alzheimer's, there should always be on the fridge or somewhere five quick um, ideas that you could um, implement to get them active. Right. Um, you know, and on and on. So, um, yeah, having those flip charts again and those ideas were right there. Um, because when you're, it, when you are a caregiver or, or whoever, and you're trying to make a quick decision, you don't always, you can't always remember, oh, they really like to march to this one video that they love to see, you know, and, uh, and such, but, but um, yes, having, I think having a, a strong and flexible spine is, and body is key. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to encapsulate this as we close to I'll encapsulate and you can correct if you think you want to add more. For the providers out there listening, one, you need to uh, invest in a little more study if you feel like you're inefficient in this area, especially in assessment, um, recognizing the signs and symptoms of dementia or Alzheimer's, and a, a little bit more of an understanding of gerontology. You don't have to be an expert because there are experts out there but you have to be able to understand when it might be time for an expert. That would be number one. Number two, multidisciplinary approach is always best. So making sure that primary care providers and any other providers that are involved are involved in your care. Let them know by sending treatment notes and notifications and request those medical records. That would be number two. Uh, number three, Number three, how can these listeners find out more about you, ask you questions, uh, or even ask you to present at, because we've got college presidents listening, we've got a lot of people listening, uh, where they can inquire to get more education from you and, and more of your expertise. Where can they hear about you? Um, well, they could contact me on from my website, um, it's either Alzheimer's Integrative Wellness Group or um, uh, awigpdx.com. And if you 
you're probably wondering, well, why is it A-W-I-G instead of A-I-W-G? <laughs> um, it's probably because I'm dyslexic. And when I set it up, I said, <laughs> I said, <laughs> I'm not a techie. I'm not a techie. So there it is. But I will, um, we'll put links up for the all those. Two. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, you know, like you've said, this only this only creates more questions. Like this is a broad, and that, that's why gerontology as a profession has grown so much over the last couple of decades, is because it is a profession, such a large field where there's so much involved, um, and no one no one should assume that they know what they're talking about. From from my perspective, in our profession, if they haven't studied at least a little bit more than what was presented at school, um, we we right. also have further continued education opportunities with the FGCA. Like we, we have live events, we have virtual seminars and things like that. And I'm imagining that I'm gonna get some feedback where people really enjoyed this conversation and want more. So please hope, hold open your appointment book for further invitations from us to uh, educate the forward thinking chiropractors about how to care for their aging population. I, I will say this um, for chiropractors out there um, and really any, any providers. Um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm in this field because I have such a passion and a love for our older population. Um, well, I mean, for all peoples, but because in the geriatric population, they're, they're vulnerable. Right, yep. and they can't always have a voice for themselves. And um, I, if, if I could just give even a fraction of my passion to my audience to help them see, like amidst all these challenges, um, it's there's just um, such an incredible human being, and and we could elevate them and give them, you know, the quality of life that they deserve. Um, yeah, it's, it's really a joy. Yeah, I have one patient, this will be my one anecdote um, for somebody in this situation and what I did in the situation that, that helped, didn't fix anything. This is not a thing you fix. This is a thing where you provide dignity and honor to somebody and give them uh, that light that they deserve. And uh, she had been, I mean, a long time patient. She had already been quite elderly when I met her, but very strong, very active, lived in a mobile home. And the thing that she loved about her, and she was a red hat. And if we don't, if anyone, red hats are sort of like the Lions Club or the Freemasons, but there are ladies that would march in parades. So she loved to dance mm -hmm. and march. And she loved to express herself that way. Sort of, they're kind of like, like almost like uh, uh, parade clowns on some levels. And uh, she, she would always come in sort of dancing. She loved to dance and she would, she was very expressive with her body and her hands. Even as she got older and older, she could still move her body and dance. But then it was just that time. It was time for her to be out of the mobile home uh, where she could care for herself and then transition into a care facility. Now her mobile home in the park she lived in was was graded out and very flat so she could always walk around the park and visit everybody and she could manage her flowers things of that nature 
when she moved to the care facility, it was in a hilly neighborhood. So lots of ups and downs. So now this patient is very active, uh, very expressive. She moves into this, this home and now it's too hilly for her to walk because the hills are too difficult for her to navigate. And so she stops walking. The decline in her presentation was so rapid uh, that one day she just showed up in a wheelchair when usually she ambulated in every single time I would see her, which would be, you know, like once every two or three months or something like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't give out names because if I said a name, I, someone's going to know exactly who it is. Um, but what are you doing in this wheelchair, young lady? You know, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm in pain and I can't walk anymore. And um, sometimes it's fighting for them, you know, like I will take this, you know, I will not take this as an acceptable answer. What's going on here? Why aren't you walking? And then the truth came out that she's in a home where there's lots of hills. So she can't walk like she likes to. She misses her home. She missed her mobile home. She missed her flowers and all that. And uh, being able to talk with the caretaker saying, this lady loves to move her body and walk. You've got to, I don't know if you need to take the little bus or whatever to get her to some flat space, but you need to get her to some flat ground where she can move her body. Two weeks later, I said, I want to see you in two weeks. Saw her in two weeks, she was on a walker. It's a beautifully decorated walker with little windmills and honkers <laughs> and horns and, and tassels and all that. And she was happy with her walker. The next day she was on a walking stick or the next two weeks later, she was on a walking stick. And then two weeks after that, she was back to walking and dancing. And it's mm -hmm. not always about the hands you lay on people. It's not always about saying some sort of magic word or the, a magic supplement. Um, sometimes it's listening for these little pieces, playing a little bit of a private investigator because you care enough, and then being an advocate for people to get um, what I would call a return to normalcy and a return to what they remember as their, as their dignified life. That's my story. So hopefully yeah, I approached that as the best I could. That's a beautiful story. And it just reminds me, um, it just reminds me that providers are exceptional people. I never cracked yeah. her back once. <laughs> never cracked <laughs> her back once. Yeah, it's, that's a great story. And I, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's because of just the aging process and frailty and the atrophy faster. It's like, you have to be active doing whatever, you know? Um, so, um, that's why animals are so great in nursing homes and long, long-term care because they, they get people out and moving and, um, yeah, well, absolutely. Well, hopefully this is just the beginning of a long relationship with you. Um, we've definitely, I've appreciated this time. I didn't know how I'd, I'd approach this conversation, but I'm just like everyone else. Like, I don't want to get old either, but these are conversations that need to happen because we, yeah. like I said, we never know what kind of challenges are going to come off the street to see us and we have to be equipped to, to manage them the best we possibly can. So Dr. Holzner, I'd like to say thank you very much. Uh, for thank the record, you. you came to us asking for an interview and I didn't even hesitate one second. Said I've been, I've been waiting for somebody like you to show up so we can have this conversation. Oh, that's the nicest thing I've heard today. <laughs> well, it was honest. <laughs> um, um, 
No, and, I and yes, it. like I said, I, hopefully this door is still open and we can find other ways to educate our tribe on ways to help this patient population the best possible. So thank you very much. And thank you for all the work you do. And I'm looking forward to more from you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you.